Creative Babble. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Well, hello there. It's me, Javier. As some of you know, I did an eight-episode deep-dive series on Frank Abagnale, the con man behind the movie and the book Catch Me If You Can. And if you listen to the series, you know he lied about his entire life story. Not only was he not a brilliant con artist, he was actually a petty thief ripping off working people just like you and me. Well, do I have an update episode for you. By the way, if you're confused by all this and haven't listened to the series, I suggest you start with episode one of season 11. This episode will make a whole lot more sense. In 2020, Alan Logan published The Greatest Hoax on Earth, a book that shattered the Frank Abagnale mythology. Then I took a swing and confronted Frank Abagnale about his false narrative in Las Vegas. But none of this, none of this slowed Frank Abagnale down. Since we last aired the real Catch Me If You Can series, Frank Abagnale has received yet another award for, I don't know, and he's continued to pose as an FBI employee and a former con man. One thing has changed for sure, and that's the fact that Frank Abagnale no longer talks about his past. Maybe it's because he knows that the truth is out there. I mean, we have a pretty good idea of what Frank Abagnale was really up to from the age of 18 to 21. I mean, I know more about this guy's early life than I know about my own. With the help of Alan Logan, we've been able to assemble a month-by-month timeline of his whereabouts. But you know what? There are still holes in that timeline that are a mystery to us. But guess what? We just found some answers to some of those dark periods in the timeline. And let's just say it's not looking good for Frank. We're going to start the episode out a little slow, and then we're going to work our way into the really salacious stuff towards the middle of the episode. So brace yourself. I'm Javier Leva, and this is Pretend. Stories about real people pretending to be someone else. Okay, typically at this point in the show, I play an ad for a sponsor of this show, but today I'm going to do something a little different. People have been sending me this brand new ad featuring Frank Abagnale, but today I'm going to play you an ad that people have been sending me of Frank Abagnale promoting his new personalized Rolex. I shit you not. Frank Abagnale has his own personalized Rolex. Now, I have to make clear that Rolex, the company, has nothing to do with the personalized Frank Abagnale watch. This is from a company called Artisan de Genève, 
from Switzerland. It's a 1960s aesthetic-inspired watch based on Frank Abagnale's life that he never lived. So one could argue that this is uh, Frank's fake Rolex. All right, enough, enough talking. Let's let's play the let's play the ad. Well, people ask me which one did I like, the pilot, the doctor, the lawyer. Absolutely, the pilot. My life started out first as how am I going to survive in the city, and how do I keep the people who are chasing me from catching me? I would see the pilots all wearing the same type of watch, and I was fascinated by that watch. And so I wanted the watch to be very unique and something that I can look at and remind me all the things that I've gone through since being 16 years old to where I am today. All of my life has been about time. Whether it's good time, bad time, being on time, everything I did was related to time. And that's why a watch like this is so important to me. Picture this, a foggy evening, the whisper of secrets in the air, and an invitation to step back into the glamorous and mysterious 1920s. That's the backdrop of June's Journey, the game that's been keeping me glued to my phone lately. Instead of doom scrolling on social media, I am actually playing the part of June Parker, a daring detective with a personal mission to solve her sister's murder. And let me tell you, it is a roller coaster of emotions and puzzles. What's to love? Well, first of all, the thrill of hunting for hidden objects. I'm a sucker for these kinds of games. It's kind of like those books that we grew up with, but with a storyline that keeps thickening. Plus, the game takes place in New York to Paris, uncovering clues of scandalous family secrets that make you feel like a real detective. If you're ready for a dose of mystery, romance, and the glamour of the 1920s, June's Journey is waiting for you. Download it for free on iOS and Android, and let's see who cracks the case first. Hey everyone, I'm here with Alan Logan. You may remember Alan from the Catch Me If You Can series. Alan is the author of The Greatest Hoax on Earth, which actually chronicles Frank Abagnale's true life adventure, which is actually, I think, more fascinating than the one that we were led to believe by Steven Spielberg and, and decades and decades of media just rehashing the lie, right, Alan? Well, it's great to be back with you again, Javier. But you knew this was going to happen, right? You knew it, Alan, and the listeners knew it. You knew that we were going to be back with an update episode because this is the story that keeps on giving, right? We've learned some new information since, since we last talked about this, right? Yeah, we definitely have. Heather Abagnale, Frank's niece, was able to request her father's military records. Her father, Frank's older brother, went by many names. Roy, Jean-Paul, Eugene, Abagnale. But by all accounts, Frank's older brother was a con man in his own right. But back in 1961, he was just known as Private First Class Eugene Abagnale for the U.S. Marine Corps. After two years of service, Eugene Abagnale wanted out of the military. But why? That's what his daughter Heather wanted to figure out. She was trying to put the pieces together and learn more about her father. And when we got Eugene Abagnale's 17-page military records, we were blown away. Because this report sheds light on what really happened in the Abagnale household. And it's nothing like you saw in the movie. 
Back in 1963, when Eugene Abagnale requested to be discharged from the Marines, he had to prove hardship. Here is Alan Logan again. Now, this is something that he's in the Marine Corps. This is not something they dole out on a regular basis. It's not like, hey, I don't like it here. I want to go home. So you have to have extraordinary reason to leave early from the military in an approved way. And this was a gold mine, right? This document that we received, the, the whole justification for leaving the military provided us with a lot of insights into that time period. Because he wants to get out of the military, he has to provide a lot of documentations to, to explain why. And this, this is where the update comes in, right? We can actually use Roy Jean-Paul's own words to describe what the meaning was, because he describes it. Here is Eugene Abagnale's letter to the military. My mother, Paulette Abagnale, has been legally separated from my father for approximately three years. My mother was awarded custody of four children, and my father was ordered to provide financial support. Since the original separation decree, my father has continually failed to provide the required support and has been arraigned before several courts in Westchester County for harassing and molesting my mother, being intoxicated, and failing to provide the support required by the court order. My father is an alcoholic and is presently residing in Indianapolis, Indiana. There is a court warrant for his arrest on grounds for non-support if he should enter the state of New York. During the last six months, my father has provided no parental or financial support, and it is most unlikely that he will in the future since he is unable to maintain a job and has no desire to provide what's required. This sounds a lot different than the Frank Sr. played by Christopher Walken in the movie. In Spielberg's version of Frank Abagnale's childhood, Frank Sr. was the victim. His wife, Paulette, was an adulterous spouse who broke up the family. But in reality, Frank Sr. was the one who allegedly abused his wife and left his family without paying any child support. Paulette Abagnale, in my opinion, was raked over the coals in her depiction on film. And even in, in the Broadway play, there's a website called Stage Agent, which actually helps people who are casting for a play, whether it's in high school or college or whatever professionally, if you're taking on the role of someone. So Paulette Abagnale, according to this stage website, the keywords that are associated with Paulette Abagnale, if you're going to take on her role, adulterous, resentful, disillusioned, disappointment, and adulterer. I mean, this is unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Eugene Abagnale adds, My mother was on public welfare for several months. My mother is repeatedly plagued with eviction notices, as well as complaints concerning her unpaid debts incurred by my father prior to his collapse. He goes on to talk about his siblings, including his younger brother, Frank. The other of the two brothers, Frank, age 15, is temporarily in the New York State Training School for Boys. Having been committed not only for habitual truancy and auto theft, but because of his difficulty adjusting at home. So now we know that at age 15, Frank was already up to no good, stealing cars and possibly entering into the foster care system. He really paints an incredible picture, and these statements are supported by documents that we now have from with the welfare and from probation officers concerning the state of things. And then you get to the case of the father, Frank Sr. 
Mr. Abagnale, this is Christopher Walken's character, has been known to our court since August 30th, 1962. He's had numerous court appearance with regard to violations of his court order. An order of protection was granted to Mrs. Paulette Abagnale because of his continual harassment. And so you get to see a picture here and a woman who really went through a lot in her life. Frank Abagnale has a deep admiration for his father. He mentions him in almost every speech. But for some reason, he seldomly talks about his mother. And he has never corrected the narrative Hollywood has painted about his mother, who sacrificed everything for these kids. Weird, right? We have statements from Paulette Abagnale, two probation officers, a lawyer, a doctor, and even a priest, Father John Daly. But yet, Paulette is the villain in the movies. So, back to the timeline. Eugene Abagnale gets discharged from the Marine, and then, soon after that, Frank Jr. enlists in the Navy. When Frank Jr. gets out of the Navy in 1965... He was immediately, quickly arrested again in Mount Vernon, New York. Here's the new information. It's an article that popped up on newspaper.com. You see, Alan Logan is like a bloodhound when it comes to everything Abagnale. Whenever one of these news archive articles gets uploaded, Alan finds it. This headline from the Daily Argus in New York reads, Youth booked as vagrant after saying he's an officer. The article describes a scene that's just downright hysterical. Abagnale was carrying a toy gun lodged in his belt, and get this, a paper police badge. I mean, cue the John Williams theme, right? He was running around Mount Vernon with a homespun police badge and, you know, made out of paper, evidently, and presenting himself as a police officer and going into apartments and claiming that he was there to interview people, including a young woman. So the mother of this young woman was clearly suspicious, must have seen through the paper badge or whatever, and said, hey, you know what? My daughter will be around at uh, four o'clock. Come on back and, and you can interview her then. She calls up the Scarlesdale police. Of course, the police are waiting and Abigail, sure enough, shows up and is quickly uh, taken into custody. What a great story. Why, why did he leave that out? Yeah, of why did he leave it out? Because well, that, that one's actually true. It's actually true. But the problem is it's, it's nutty behavior and he's quickly caught and he's sent for psychiatric evaluation. For using a paper badge. Well, yeah, for the whole package. <laughs> but seriously, put aside the clownish nature of this caper. What exactly was Frank Abagnale trying to get away with in this apartment? Remember, he went looking for the woman's teenage daughter. And when the young girl wasn't home, Abagnale returned and was caught. But what would have happened if everything went according to plan? What was he going to do to her? Take her to, air quote, custody, and then what? I mean, just really bizarre behavior. It's almost like there are two Frank Abagnales. There's the Leonardo DiCaprio slick Frank, who always gets away with everything and fools everyone. Then there's slippery Frank, who gets away with nothing and gets caught all the time and is just plain creepy. We learned that after this incident, slippery Frank gets back at it and continues to get in trouble. In earlier episodes, I mentioned that Abagnale steals a yellow Mustang and then drives it across the country. But now we actually know how he stole it. How that happened was that he 
was at a country club, an exclusive country club in Westchester County, presented himself as the valet. I'll park your car for you, sir, and drove off with the yellow Mustang. We're learning a lot about Abagnale. We learned about his home life, his life with his parents and, and, and that situation. And then we, we find out that he is stealing cars. He's posing as cops. I mean, that's all great. But here's where it gets disturbing again. Just when you think this story couldn't get any creepier, it does. Right, Alan? Can you tell us about that? Well, once again, we have more nutty, inexplicable behavior. After this whole yellow Mustang fiasco, Slippery Frank gets sent to Great Metal Prison in Comstock, New York, from the age of 17 to 20. This is the time period where Slick Frank was supposedly posing as a doctor, lawyer, professor. But, you know, none of that actually happened because Slippery Frank was sitting in prison the whole time. During this time period, the real timeline, Slippery Frank gets paroled and sent to live with his mother, Paulette. And days after that parole, days later, he shows up at the Pendilly Preschool and says, I'm working with Pan Am and I'm here to help out the kids. And believe it or not, the director of the Pendilly Preschool, Mary Haslam, believes it. Yes, not only does Slippery Frank show up at a preschool dressed in a pilot's costume, he actually brings a newspaper clipping with him, proving that he's a real pilot. The headline reads, Frank Abagnale Jr. graduates as a pilot. So now, once again, using false pretenses, a bogus resume, and a costume, as well as a, a fake newspaper clipping, he's landed himself a gig there. To work with preschoolers. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. Yeah, it's really bizarre. Here we go again. Frank Abagnale gets out of prison and immediately seeks employment around children. What's up with that? According to a newspaper clipping that Alan Logan found on newspaper.com, Abagnale offers to take some female preschool teachers to an all-expense-paid trip to Puerto Rico. You guys, this really happened. Doesn't that sound a lot like the scene in the movie where Slick Frank takes the stewardesses on a three-month trip all across Europe? The newspaper featured an article with one of the preschool teachers. Her name is Denise Gandolfo. She's still alive and well and willing to tell the story. So it would be really wonderful if you could get Denise on to chat and, you know, maybe for a few minutes and describe those events in uh, Memorial Day of 1967. Challenge accepted. My conversation with Denise Gandolfo after the break. Hi, is this Denise? <laughs> yes, this is Javier. Denise Gandolfo, at least that was her name at the time, was a preschool teacher at the Pengilly Nursery School, which is more commonly known as a preschool nowadays. Keep in mind, Denise doesn't know Slippery Frank's true story. All she knows is that one day a pilot showed up out of nowhere to work at this preschool, took her on a lavish trip to Puerto Rico, and then disappeared. It wasn't until the movie came out that she realized that Frank Abagnale was the same guy she once worked with. After the movie came out and all of that, and I saw where he was going to be speaking, and I thought, I've got to go listen to see what he has to say. 
Oh my God. And did you, did you say hi to him? Did he I did go up and say hi to him. I reminded him who I was. I mean, this, this was back into 1967. I don't think he was too happy to see me. <laughs> I just got the feeling that he was not happy I was there. <laughs> well, because you kind of know the truth. <laughs> and, he, and that's kind of inconvenient for him, you know? But you know, I really, I don't know the truth, actually. I, you know, I assumed after all of this and the movie came out that he did everything he did. That's true. I, yeah. I guess maybe we were the first that he conned that way. I asked Denise if she remembers the first time she met Frank at the preschool back in 1967. He came to the school wearing a Pan Am uniform and had his interview with the owner and presented a newspaper article showing that he was top in his class at flight school and blah, blah, blah. Slippery Frank got a job as a teacher's assistant. His job, once again, was to pick up the kids from home and drive them to school. He's driving three- and four-year-olds unsupervised, if I may add. Again, you have to ask yourself, why does Abagnale have this unstoppable urge to get himself work around children immediately after being paroled? Maybe that's why he was so nervous when he saw Denise decades later. She knew too much. But I digress. Let's get back to my conversation with Denise. Anyway, he was a very nice man. We were all having lunch together, the TAs, and we were talking about it would be nice to do something, and the conversation got around to, wouldn't it be nice if we could go someplace? And he very quickly said, well, how about we all go to Puerto Rico? He said, my father was past president of Eastern Airlines, so we could go free. The hotel would be free, everything. And, you know, we're looking at each other and, you know, <laughs> this sounds nice. And uh, so we did it. I mean, that has to be very unusual, right, for someone. I mean, you're working at a nursery. I can't mm -hmm. imagine that you were making tons of money. Back no. Then, right? mm -hmm. And for someone to show out of out of the blue and and have a all-expense-paid trip to an exotic island, I mean, that had to have been yeah. very strange for you, right? Yes, yes. I'm sure we must have sat and talked about it beforehand. Do you think we should do this kind of thing? And it wasn't like just one of us going. And it wasn't like he was making a move on any one of us. We're a group of friends working together. We have this opportunity. Let's do it. Wow. So we did. <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't, he didn't try to make a move on anyone? No, no, wow. not, not any of us. The only one he did was a stewardess that he met on the plane. Denise and the rest of the preschool teachers jumped at the chance and immediately were off to Puerto Rico. The morning of their flight, Frank drives the teachers to the airport using the preschool owner's station wagon. Remember that. This is the same car used to drive the kids around school. It's going to be important later on in the story. I guess I am a suspicious person because it was something that bothered me about the fact that he, he threw his hat into the trunk of the car. So the hat was dirty. And I didn't think that was something that would be acceptable for a uniformed co-pilot. We were getting into the car. I guess it was to go to the airport. He just took the hat and he just tossed it into the back. And it was already dirty looking. That, that just caught my eye. That's all. 
do remember that he went into the cockpit as well. Because he's and still we- in uniform at this point. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep, he boarded in uniform. We got to the hotel in San Juan, beautiful place, and we spent the day out on the beach, and, and we went into old San Juan. I know that the flights were covered, but did he cover all the expenses as food and drinks and stuff yes, like that? Yes, everything wow. was covered. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. The, the hotel, everything. He just kept writing checks, apparently. And how he knew that maybe the checks started bouncing or somebody got suspicious, I don't know. And the next day, we were saying, we're having such a good time. We'd like to stay longer. But Frank said, no, no, no. We have to go home. And he was extremely nervous. And we said, well, why, why can't we stay a little longer? So we, we had to leave. And that was what we did. He got very nervous. He wanted us out of there as quickly as we could get out. But he just kept saying, we need to go. And when we got back to the airport, and Frank disappeared with the, we found out the next day, or whenever the day was that we went back into work. Frank was gone, and the car was gone. Slippery Frank took off with the preschool owner's station wagon, and Denise and the rest of the teachers never saw him again. And he was gone. Obviously, something happened in Puerto Rico that spooked him. Slippery Frank knew his ruse was unraveling, and he needed to get the heck out of there. And when they got back to New York, he disappears and even goes as far as stealing the school owner's car. Keep in mind, this trip took place on Memorial Day weekend in 1967. Just a few days later, Frank was picked up by Massachusetts state troopers at Logan Airport. He's charged and convicted for grand theft auto and two low-level larceny charges. And, you know, checks worth less than $100 each. Frank vividly remembers his arrest at Logan International Airport. Here he is talking to Johnny Carson about it. My next guest... I have to explain a little bit about Frank Abagnale. He had a short but illustrious career as a con man. But instead of telling Carson what really happened, you know, that he stole the preschool's car and he was working with children disguised as a pilot, well, he just tweaked the story a bit. I had one scheme in Boston. I had written a bunch of bad checks and I was trying to leave Boston. I went out to Logan International Airport. So as I noticed all the ticket counters and gift shops and everything closing down, they were sticking their money in a night bag, zipping it closed, locking it, stick their key in the night box, drop the bag down the slot, go home, one right after the other. So the next night, about a quarter to 12, I came out to the airport. I was wheeling a little cart with me, had a big container on it, pulled up to the night box, hung a very nice printed sign over the box that said, night box out of order, please make all deposits with guard on duty. Everyone did. came by and just uh, dropped the bag in. I said to myself, somebody has got to know that a box can't be out of order. I mean, how can a box be out of order? It's like a mailbox, out of order. But nobody did. And, and they all dropped their stuff in? dropped the bag. And the bad part about it was that I couldn't get it moving because it was so heavy. The bag of money was so heavy that he needed help loading it into his stolen station wagon. Right. Massachusetts state troopers helped him load bucket loads of loot into a station wagon. Kind of an odd claim to make when you're driving a station wagon belonging to a school director. The whole thing is just so unbelievably bizarre. You know, now all these years have passed. What do you think What do you think he was up to? Like, what was his motivation for taking you guys on this, you know, lavish trip? You know, I don't know. 
who knows, maybe it, this was going to be the first time he was going to try it, <laughs> you know, to get on a plane. I don't know. Was it just the thrill of of being out there? Or? I don't know. Yeah. So I, I, I question, too, what was his motivation for even applying for and working at ah. the nursery school? Okay, so let's talk about that, actually, because I don't want to make any accusations, but there's a very disturbing pattern with Frank Abagnale when you look at what he was really doing. Not the movie, but what the real Frank Abagnale was doing. And we have public records, court records, uh, prison records, all documenting where he was at certain times, right? And Uh every time he was in prison, he would get out of prison and go seek work or employment where there were children and he would always do this wearing a pilot's uniform getting the job under false pretense just like he did at your nursery okay so yeah he got out of prison and he went to go work with the mentally disabled children in louisiana he got out of prison went to go work at a, a kid's summer camp dressed as a pilot in Texas, and then he got out of prison and then went to go work at as a social worker placing orphans in homes. Okay, so he went to work at an orphanage. And now we discover this story where he went to go work at a nursery right after he got released from prison, again, dressed as a pilot being around kids like I, I don't get that and you were around him around this time like what do you think of all this as i said i i questioned why he was there i don't think anybody questioned his behavior with the children everything seemed okay don't you think it's odd that a pilot would go seek uh, an assistant job at a nursery not even you know a teacher That's what like, I, oh, I questioned it right from the first time i think we all did the girls you know why is he here and I don't know that we ever asked him directly why he was there. So here we are. Alan Logan has written a book exposing Frank Abagnale. I've devoted nine episodes already to this guy. His true story is on Wikipedia for the world to see, yet he keeps getting booked to speak as an expert for a life he never lived. And the media is completely silent on this, by the way. Very few media outlets had the chutzpah to cover it. For some reason, no one wants to touch this story. That is, until now. A reporter by the name of Abby Elling wrote a piece for the New York Post titled, quote, Catch Me If You Can, Con Man, Frank Abagnale Jr. Lied About His Lifetime of Lies. You may remember Abby Elling from a previous pretend episode titled The Commander. I wrote this book called Duped, as you know. I was on your podcast. That's how we met. And it was about this fiance I had who turned out to be a pathological liar and went to jail. And the book is all about deception. And in it, I think there's three lines about Frank Abagnale. And he wrote me an email when the book came out and he was upset. And Frank wrote me this note and he said, you know, the crime I committed was writing bad checks. I was 16. I served five years in prisons in Europe and the United States. And then in 1974, after four years in federal prison, the government took me out so I could work for the FBI. But he was upset. And I couldn't figure out why he was so upset because he's like, you know, like George Santos, which is the news hook right now. He seemed to revel. And then a year later, I got another email from a man named Jim Keith. Didn't know him. 
from anybody. He wrote to me and he said, I've been following Frank Abagnale since like the late 70s, early 80s, and he's a liar. And I was like, well, yes, we know this. And he's like, no. No, no. He you don't understand. About, <laughs> right. He lied about his lies. So he sends me an 87-page file with letters from Pan Am executives and Neiman Marcus executives and people from the, you know, Baton Rouge AG's office. I mean, like this. And this is spot, before I'm, this is before you and I ever talked about this. This is probably correct. before Alan Logan even got it, a, it was. a whiff of, of this guy. Yes, that's why it was uncanny. Jim Keith was a manager of security at JCPenney's in St. Louis. And he once heard Abagnale speak about turning his life around. And Keith was like, I don't buy it. He called bullshit. He just said, I don't buy it. He's made it his mission, obviously, to out Frank Abagnale and his lies. Abby didn't know what to do with all this information, so she just set it aside. So I just put it away. And thank God I didn't throw it out because, you know, it was a goldmine. Then George Santos came around and I thought, okay, it's time to revisit this. George Santos has been compared to Frank Abagnale. And he is takes it as a compliment, you know. At least in one in one YouTube video, Santos is like, "Well, I like that." You're saying I look like Leonardo DiCaprio, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> "Like he totally, he totally misses, misses the, the point. point." Or he just, right. he just anyway, it's fascinating. The whole world. I think what's funny is that the media is comparing Frank Abagnale or George Santos to Frank Abagnale, but they're not really getting it. Like they're comparing. George Santos to the fictional Frank Abagnale and not realizing that that Frank Abagnale doesn't exist. That's right. But the comparison is correct. Just not in the way right. they The think. comparison is, they just don't they understand just don't get it, it fully. Yep. And then George Santos really, really doesn't get it because he thinks that people are comparing him to Leonardo, to DiCaprio. Leonardo DiCaprio. I know, I know. And he's and he's he's in office. That's all I have to say. He's a politician. Yeah. Making laws. Yep. Making laws. Santos, give I have not. I'm not a big movie guy. Sorry, guys. Some people say you remind them of that movie. When then I remind them of Leo, Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm flattered. Yeah. I wish I had his bank account. Yeah. <laughs> and so what was in those documents? We have here, I don't know if you can see this, but we have here, it's a letter from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. But here, dear Mr. Keith, in response to your inquiry concerning a scheme alleged to have occurred at Logan International Airport, wherein airline employees were tricked into turning their deposit bags over to a bogus bank guard, kindly be advised that based on my personal knowledge, a check of our records and conversation with the bank manager, no such incident ever occurred at this facility. Very truly yours, William McCabe, Captain Mass State Police, Logan International Airport. That's from May 12th, 1982. Uh, we have a letter from Pan Am. Dear Mr. Keith, I received your letter regarding Frank W. Abagnale Jr. I am sorry not to have the time or the inclination to rebut the same dribble this individual has been peddling for years. The public, aided and abetted by the news media, seems to thrive on sensationalism regardless of how bizarre or outlandish the tales may be. This reception only encourages a person of this ilk to embellish and further exaggerate each time a story or incident is referred to. Jim Keith, you know, the JCPenney security manager, then teams up with William Tony, a criminal justice professor who in 1981 sent his students to confront Abagnale about his lies. Remember him? Abby Elling was also able to confirm AARP cut ties with Abagnale. 
And you also reached out to the FBI. I'm curious to see what kind of response they gave you. You get much better response from them than I did. I, the FBI told me we don't verify employment. And to which the question is, so can anybody then say that they work for the FBI? I mean, that is free speech. So how do you verify that? Yeah. Could the janitor who works in the FBI building at Quantico, could, does he work for the FBI? I, I guess so. So, But what about Joe Schmo on the street? Why can't they say I work for the FBI? But it is starting to happen as we're getting new journalists that are interested in the story. Abby Ellen is one of those journalists who's, you know, put the talons into the barracuda <laughs> and it lifted it out from the ocean no, and ready the to sewage, feed. The, the, uh, the, um, the sewer, <laughs> not the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've said to you that when you examine the activities of Abigail, the actual activities, I'm not talking about Spielberg's fantasy, but the actual activities, it's very grimy. It's like doing a, a sewer tour in a glass bottom <laughs> boat. We did cause quite a stir. I mean, uh, we're, uh, you know, we're all over the Wikipedia page. I'm sure people reach out to you all the time. People reach out to me. They're, people are interested in the story. And like we said, nobody really wants to touch it. And for, for many reasons, but one journalist, Abby Elling, is taking the story to the New York Post. And it might, the story might actually be out by the time you listen to this. And this is huge, right? It, it really is. It's taking it up to the next level. She has new witnesses, new documents. And in particular, I think the listeners will really appreciate her point of entry into the story because Abby has this incredible file of documents that were disproving Abby Neal's case. By the way, the New York Post article is finally out. I will link it in the show notes. I was hoping to have Frank Sr.'s police report regarding his death. If you recall, Frank Sr. mysteriously fell down the subway stairs and later died in the hospital. His death was ruled undetermined pending police investigation. As soon as NYPD sends me the files, you will be the first to know. Until then, more and more people are learning about Slippery Frank. Yet, despite all this, he keeps getting booked to speak at conferences. It reminds me of what he told Johnny Carson many, many moons ago. Don't you ever get the itch, though, to try to pull off another little scam? I'll be honest. Sometimes, but... But you... <laughs> yeah. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, so I was getting ready to finalize this episode, package it up, and upload it when I was graciously invited to speak at the ACFE Second Annual Emerging Trends in Fraud Investigation and Prevention Conference. It takes place on May 22nd through the 23rd. It's part of the Central Ohio ACFE chapter, by the way. And guess 
who else is speaking at the ACFE Second Annual Emerging Trends in Fraud Investigation and Prevention Conference? Yes, Mr. Frank Abagnale Jr. That's right. Frank Abagnale Jr. takes the stage. And then right after, Javier Leva gets to tell the audience the real story. At first, I thought I was being punked. I had to look up to make sure that this was even a real event. And sure enough, it is. And the event organizers were really, you know, struck, I'm guessing, by the real Frank Abagnale story that they felt compelled to invite somebody to balance things out. And so I'm sure the audience is going to be completely shocked when they learn that everything that was just told to them was a complete lie by a big-time liar. So um, I said yes, of course. I said yes. And whatever speaking fees I get for participating in this event, I am going to donate 100% of that to Frank Abagnale Jr.'s victims because, well, somebody has to. You know, I asked the event organizers, I said, are you sure? Why are you inviting this kind of drama to your event? Are you sure you want me to speak right after Frank Abagnale? And they said, sure. And I said, does Frank know that I'm going to be speaking at this event? And he said, uh, yeah, actually, we let his people know. And they said that they're all right. They said everything I have to say is, quote unquote, old news. I'm guessing the whole preschool fiasco where he dressed up as a pilot to get a job at a nursery. I guess that's old news too. Well, I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy, I tell you. But before you get too excited, that happened maybe last week. I just found out that Frank Abagnale Jr. has dropped out of the ACFE Second Annual Fraud Prevention Conference in Ohio. So we won't be sharing the stage after all. But I'll still be there, and I'm going to talk to maybe over a thousand anti-fraud professionals about Frank Abagnale and his true life story. Who knows? Maybe I'll get booked on every conference that Frank Abagnale gets booked on. Boy, is that his worst nightmare or what? And if you can't get enough of Frank Abagnale, which I know some of you can't, I have a bonus interview that I just recorded today. It's with... uh, a lady who we're calling Virginia. And Frank Abagnale reportedly scammed her out of $20,000 back in the 80s, okay, which is worth a hell of a lot more money today. He hasn't repaid her, and she hasn't forgotten. Here's a clip of my interview with Virginia. Virginia Morris, who doesn't want me to use her real name, is a retired real estate agent from Houston, Texas. She's one of the many people who claim Frank Abagnale scammed her out of a lot of money. Virginia spent years suing Abagnale, trying to recover her money, but Abagnale basically ignored court summons and failed to appear in court. So Virginia did what anyone who lost more than $20,000 would do. She showed up at one of Frank Abagnale's speaking events to confront him. I somehow heard, maybe, I don't know how I heard, but that he was going to be speaking uh, to bankers in Houston, and he was teaching how, how to prevent banks from detecting fraud. Right. And 
So I went to that meeting, and it was a rather small group of people. It was easy for him to see me. And when he did, of course, you know, he kind Mm -hmm. of, I saw a little change in his expression. And then I made very sure that he didn't get out of that room without talking to me. Hmm. What did he say when you when you went up to speak? To oh, him? he he said he was going to pay me. You know, it was always an ex- excuse. Um, I'm making a movie, and when I you know when I get that done, then I'll have plenty of money to pay. That well, the movie's been delayed, and so I can't do that. And on. You know, just always an excuse. And so after after that, I just thought, you know what? This is not worth my effort. Well, he, he continues to speak and get paid like $20,000, $30,000 a speech. Yeah. Yeah. So why? <laughs> I guess he's just that big a fraud, huh? One speech. He could just do one speech and just make yeah. good right well not really because the amount of interest that he owes you right like it, it, oh. it's not twenty thousand dollars anymore oh no goodness no to listen to the entire interview with virginia subscribe to pretend plus on apple podcasts or on patreon you can hear the whole thing it is actually a fascinating story check it out Anyway, I'll keep you guys posted. Of course, if you want to learn the latest, greatest of anything and bonus episodes, go to my Patreon or become a subscriber of Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. That's where I put all the bonus information that only the hardcore Pretend fans want to know about. And I am going to be starting a weekly bonus podcast that I'm just going to talk about stories that hey, I thought were interesting that could make it on the show, but I'd never got anywhere with them. And so kind of going to uh, unload my uh, archive on you guys, my uh, to-do list. So I think you'll find it pretty awesome. There's some really good stories that I wish I could cover on the show, but I just can't get anyone to talk to me. So make sure to subscribe. Just, you know, a couple bucks a month, you're supporting an indie podcast and you get a lot of bonus material. And if you're on Patreon, you get the bonus podcast ad-free and merch for signing up so stickers t-shirts anyway i appreciate all your help this episode was edited by punith shinoi with the podcast pundits one more thing before we go i have a real treat for you one of my listeners who is also a recording artist who goes by the name of ken don't cry listen to my frank abagnale series the real catch me if you can and heard a soundbite i was one of those few children very few who got to grow up in the world with a daddy. The world is full of fathers, but there are very few daddies. And any child who's had a daddy is an extremely gifted child. He asked me, hey, can I sample this soundbite for my new song, Straight Dad Vibes? And I said, yeah, sure, why not? And uh, here's the results. I'll let Ken Don't Cry play out the episode with straight dad vibes. Check it out. The world is full of fathers, but there are very few daddies. Daddy? No, I can't be your daddy. I'm a dad. I mean, look at me. 
rock Socks and sandals, Wrangler jeans I'll take you to tryouts so you can make the team I'll sit front row at your baseball game See daddy and dad are not the same My ass so far barbecue out back But baby don't touch my thermostat Why you up in my grill, girl, did you forget? I'm the number one dad, sonny, let's play catch Heard you want a daddy, but I'm straight dad vibes Like don't forget your coat when you go outside I can act real tough but that's all lies, yeah, all I got for you is straight dad vibes My puns are bad, but I am badder Serving dad vibes on a silver platter I bring them the bacon, so then what's the matter? Finish your plate, young whippersnapper I'm eating potatoes, kinda guy So if you're looking for a daddy, then I must decline All was wrong Did I make you cry? Don't get your tears on my face, baby, you'll be fine Heard you want a daddy, but I'm straight dad vibes Like don't forget your coat when you go outside I can act real tough but that's all lies, yeah, all I got for you is straight dad vibes. Please don't change the soft rock station. I'll pick you up after prom in my station wagon. I can pump your gas and tie your tie. But when it comes to being daddy, I cannot lie. I ain't no square, I'm a hexagon. I got my steel toes on so I can mow your lawn. If your name's Skywalker, I could be your father. But the truth be told, I just want your mother. No, but seriously, can I get your mom's number? Creative Babble.